I made only my second trip in my life and the first time I ever bought anything from a liquor store. Oh. I felt like an absolute noob. <laughs> it was really delicious. Uh, <laughs> How were you a noob? Like, what happened? It first of all, it took me forever to try and figure out which I wanted to buy a couple of beers to try. Right. So I was like looking around and, and reading labels and stuff. I suppose I just looked like a connoisseur at that point. <laughs> but then I came up to the counter and I slapped my stuff down and I whipped out my ID and flipped it open just as the cashier was asking if I had an Air Miles card. And I was like, no, but it was too late. She was already trying to scan my wallet that I had just opened for Air Miles. <laughs> and I'm like... Oh, no, I don't have air miles. I'm flashing ID. <laughs> She's like, well, I had a pretty good idea that you were old enough to be in here. You have gray hair. <laughs> Welcome back to Daddy Daughter Talk Show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? You know what? I'm a little bit depressed. The end of COVID is weighing on me. And I've discovered today that despite there being few meaningful restrictions in my life, I still feel restricted. So... I think I have some work to do. What do you still find restricting? Well, I can't go and run stairs in the Arts Tower yet. The university's still, still closed. Still locked, yeah. And I know most people be like, oh, go do stairs somewhere else, which I have. Or, you know, what's the big deal anyway? And I can't explain it. But it's just something that I've been doing for 25 years. And it feels like a comforting, familiar activity that is just part of who I am. And, and to not do it just... It's mentally upsetting. Maybe I don't even want to run stairs anymore. I'll get there and I'll find, no, I'm done with this. This sucks. <laughs> and it's just a little needle. It's it's like Morpheus says in The Matrix, right? Mm. It's always there, like a splinter in your mind. Right. It's something that isn't right. That's how I feel about going shopping, because I normally love shopping and I find it super relaxing. And even though I'm double vaccinated, I still hate watching people go down the wrong way when there's an arrow uh, on the right like and it bothers me and it's it used to bother me because it felt unsafe right like because i wasn't vaccinated i'm trying and now it just bothers you because there's something wrong yeah and it just feels so oh and i hate it you know what the other weird thing is is even in places where they've taken the arrows off i remember which way the arrows were oh do you <laughs> And it's like, I feel compelled almost to, it's there. I'm like, I should be going this way. No, I feel that. I'm trying to make myself go dancing tomorrow, maybe. Because coming home, I didn't realize how shitty it felt to not go dancing when I came home for those two weeks. Because like dancing hasn't started yet. And it just like, I didn't realize how big of a part and how much enjoyment I get from it until it's something that you can't do. Uh, what happened to me? Greta and I went out for lunch yesterday or the day before or something, and there were like bump up arrows on the ground. Like they had raised arrows. Whoa. Just like one of the biggest issues people who are blind had in the pandemic was like they didn't know which way to go down the aisles. Because their guide dog doesn't recognize the arrow and they can't find it with their cane if it's just a sticker on the ground. They don't know what way it's pointing. So are the raised arrows set up so that with a cane you can yeah. sort of read the... Oh, interesting. Kind of like how you read the, the bumps on a sidewalk, curb, a curb cut. Probably a bit late for that to be surfacing now. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, and this is... Of all the businesses I've been to during the pandemic, this is the only one that I've seen that did that, right? Okay. And it was like this small restaurant. But it still made me, like, made me a little happy. Yeah, you're going to be fine. I know. In all likelihood, right? But are you 
are you complicit in contributing to the spread for folks who are either, I'm going to be politic and say vaccine hesitant, <laughs> or just vulnerable in some way and haven't been able to be vaccinated or for whom yeah. even that level of security is not secure enough. Yeah. I want to revisit one of our topics. Oh, okay. Just briefly. I, I'm still not an expert in these things, right? And so when we have questions, I don't feel like we have to have an exhaustive answer that someone could pop up yeah. on Khan Academy and use as a guide to to whatever the the, the topic is. Uh, after all, I feel like, I don't know about you, I'm here to, to delight and amuse myself. And if yeah. anybody else wants to be amused uh, with us, then that's, that's up to them. But we had uh, run into some difficulties discussing the concept of photons and what on earth they were. I thought that's what you were going to revisit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I was kind of frustrated at myself for having sort of lost the detail of, of right. what these magical things were. And I mean, Einstein discovered them. So it's not like they've just been lying around on a beach for anybody to, to figure out. It's a complex idea. Photons are the smallest packet of electromagnetic radiation that exists as visible light. They are the smallest little burst of light. That's what a photon is. And because they are pure energy, they have no mass at, uh, in a rest state. Or they have no rest state. They have and zero mass. They are pure energy. Which is why they how can But how can something have zero mass? Okay, so this comes down to the fundamental way that matter exists, which is right. that matter is like a contained energy, right? So when you break down all matter, it releases energy. Yes. So photon is the smallest portion of that energy that that is a cohesive unit. Okay, so I'm just going to walk through this. So I know that different elements on like the periodic table have different like weights mm -hmm. right and i remember having to calculate that and i hated it but like so you said that it's like a packet of ma a packet of energy it's so, not matter it's energy okay yeah packet of energy but what makes up the energy and how does it weigh nothing or like what is releasing what is releasing the energy like what compound or thing is releasing? I, bet, I guess that's a better question. In the case of the light that we're getting here on Earth on this fine day, it is the interactions of the gases burning in the sun, right? Like that's a fusion reaction with hydrogen burning off in the sun. And that right. is releasing energy, which is where these, uh, of lots of different types, but but photons as visible light is is one of them. So matter matter and energy are the same, right? That's E equals yeah. MC squared. I never got that far in physics. <laughs> that's okay, but you've heard the you've heard that that's yeah. the one thing that everybody hears. That's the right? famous one. So and, yeah. and what but what that means is that energy and mass, they are opposite sides of the equation. Right. So when you move mass over, it becomes energy. Or if you move energy over to the other side, it becomes mass. And so you can... So for a more tangible thing for myself, so is heat is energy. Yeah. And because it weighs nothing, is that why heat rises? Because it's lighter than air? <laughs> heat is the impact of a rise in energy on matter. So... Um, it's a, like, if you take, if you take electromagnetic energy and, 
and push it into you're uh, causing matter, an right? equation it, it heats yeah, up yeah. and that causes the the atoms in that to to move more to spread out and that's why things rise because they because they right. so um, it's actually the air it, when we're talking about a gas rising. right like if you heat up iron it doesn't rise it doesn't no, get no. lighter <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what's actually happening then is this amorphous energy is causing the particles in air particles to vibrate a lot and expand to vibrate more which warms them up expands and they, they rise. rise yeah okay so the they are the they're the medium for that i think that you don't you don't have heat in in the vacuum of space as we discussed the vacuum yes. last time heat is would be like sound it needs a medium to transport it but in the absence of that you have things like these photons of light traveling through space and other kinds of electromagnetic energy that gets to earth that runs into particles that causes them to heat up right because it's that energy at its simplest i'm sure i sound like a complete idiot to anyone somebody that (laughs) but i'm okay with that yeah that's that's the point of this we're we're being idiots and having fun um anyway does that make any sense to you yeah that does make sense my next question is if so because light is energy and it's like traveling along is the reason that it can travel so far because space is a vacuum like is it because there's nothing to get in the way of it yep that's entirely it imagine that there was a brick wall it, between us and the sun well i knew i knew brick wall would block it but i'm wondering so presumably then light travels less fast going that's why light travels less fast going through air and then even less fast going through water which is why light doesn't reach the bottom of the ocean because the energy runs out but it's 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 a very it's not about the speed that it's traveling through it does slow down in in uh different media right very imperceptibly to to you or i i'm sure physicists can measure it and it's like a huge difference but what what is the difference is when it's traveling through uh air there are particles and when it hits a particle it's either going to bounce off or it's going to that energy is going to be absorbed right like how some is absorbed and heats things and when it's absorbed then it's then it's basically contributing to the heat and the energy of the particle that it's been absorbed into and if it bounces off then it may have uh it, it's it's going to run into something else basically it only the light only has a a free reign as long as it can pass through things and there's not much going on in air so we get a lot of that coming through in the visible light spectrum when you hit the water that's denser and so less of it manages to as it goes some through it, it just starts running into things it, and by yeah. the time it's run into enough things uh, there's no more light left to 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 go further and in space there's so few things that it just keeps going now does it have momentum no it has no mass so it cannot have momentum right because i was just wondering theoretically if you had like a wall of water if it could if, smash like, through it if it no, no if it like went through and if it would like go back to its original speed or if it would have slowed down on the other side of the wall of water oh let's see how does how does that work the the example that they used in my physics textbook was two wheels so they have they have width. There's one wheel, an axle, and another wheel. Yeah. And if the if they're rolling along, and one wheel goes into mud, right, and that other wheel keeps the first wheel that isn't in the mud keeps moving faster, then it causes it to turn. Yeah. And then they both hit the mud and sort of slow down. And when they come out, it comes out in the reverse order, where the wheel that that comes out first moves faster. But that's for things with momentum. And exactly, I exactly that I was assume like, that yeah. light 
would obey that property i don't but i don't well, now see there we've hit our limits of knowledge again this is future follow-up does does light slow down and speed up when it passes through different media i, I suspect ask really good it, questions yeah you do yeah interesting this is causing me to have questions i didn't know i had which is also a good thing that's the whole idea keep the keep the delight in the universe i think delight also has no mass and will travel forever unless it, unless it uh -huh. hits something. It's delight. <laughs> delight. All right, man. I'm sure that's new. I bet you nobody else has come up with that. Yeah, that'll be our our tagline. Keeping delight in the universe. Yeah, nice. Sure. So do, I'm assuming you didn't talk to any cousins. We were thinking about getting questions from the young ones in our family. No. I didn't. I got a question from Greta, um, which I don't think we can answer. And another one, which I do think we can answer. The one I don't think we can answer is because like her is like a psychology PhD doesn't know the answer to this psychology question. <laughs> oh, well, then I think we should tackle that one first. Okay. Well, I don't know if I can even explain what her question is. Does she have it typed out? No, like we were talking about it. Maybe I need Greedy to explain it to me as well, yeah. Let's pull it back and go and look at what was uh, the the question you thought we probably could answer. Well, I, I know you can answer it because you were talking to me about it, but we were talking about intergenerational trauma and things like alcoholism and like um, people whose parents are, have like suffered from a genocide or something and that it actually conveys permanent changes in their DNA. And so right. I was hoping if you could explain a little bit more about what you were talking to me about that one time about epigenetics and those effects of allergies. This is a field that I wasn't aware of growing up, and I think it still has lots of emerging knowledge in it. So what I'm going to be able to say on it is pretty thin. But could you repeat the question? Greta said that there's been a lot of attempts to explain why allergies are increasing. And I was wondering right. if you could explain that part of epigenetics. Okay, so this was this comes from another podcast that I had listened to. I cannot remember exactly which one, but the the gist of it is that traditionally we have thought of DNA as being the blueprints for everything that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But our DNA contains all kinds of information that we do not use. We've learned that some of those bits of code can be turned on or off within our lifetimes, basically causing a, a change in the expression of those mm -hmm. genes. That's epigenetics, the, the ability for uh, how, your, how your genes are being expressed changes within your lifetime. What we're learning is that those changes can very easily become permanent changes that you pass on to your children. Right. And your children's children. I don't know what the mechanism is for deciding what is going to be a permanent change or not. Mm -hmm. But that's the kind of thing that, that the podcast I was listening to points to as a, a potential reason for the rise in these kinds of things. Celiac disease or or asthma, or uh, cancer, right? That we've heretofore not been able to pin on anything in particular, but the fact that because my great-grandfather worked in an asbestos mine, for example, yeah. isn't true, but, but that he got cancer maybe before having children passes that on. And if it is a strong enough change, and I don't know what the determination for that is, then it becomes intergenerational. And presumably that also... You know, the, the extreme stress of being in uh, a war-torn 
country growing yeah. up, right? That that has epigenetic changes, and those uh, I used to think of them as being culturally passed on. And I'm sure they are in some ways. Yeah, we're learning that it is more than that. That there are actual physical changes to your body that will be passed on as a result of that. So that's the best answer I can give right now. I'd be willing to get bet good money that you can blame a lot of allergies on the Industrial Revolution. So one of the things that we learned in my disability studies class is like disability period dramatically increased with the Industrial Revolution, right? Like specifically physical disabilities that we know of, right? So, so we're looking now here at, say, your great, great, great grandparents, maybe. Yeah. The, the, someone who is alive in that change. And you're suggesting that the poor working conditions that we experienced yeah. as a result of ignorance and greed, um, yeah. basically combined. Well, yeah, because that was that was the issue for a lot of impairments and things like that. And I'm also sh probably sure with a lot of things like depression and things like that also increased because quality of life went down a lot. You didn't have as much spending power, a whole bunch of things like that. But the all those physical disabilities and the rise of like our treatment of disabled people is linked back to the Industrial Revolution. So I definitely think that like working in like power plants and all of these sorts of like really horrible conditions could be one of many things that we can trace back to epigenetic changes, right? Because I'm sure that that also applies to things like people who have experienced chemical weapons in warfare, or even less horrible things. I don't remember the island, and maybe like this, maybe this is fake news, so be careful. I read an article online about people who live in a specific island. I think near what's the area called where it's like sort of above australia those islands that are there like vanuatu and tuvalu and fiji and right okay Mi so micronesia indonesia? yeah but like near indonesia but like the actual there's an there's a name for the area of things um but there's an island there where the population of that island much more so than anywhere else has developed a an insane ability to see underwater compared to other people like because they primarily fish and collect things by swimming deep underwater like they actually their eyes need less light to be able to see in the same conditions as at least what I remember it was a long time ago that I saw that but I bet that that is also maybe not an epigenetic change but um potentially an epigenetic change I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this remotely right this is from physics.org, <laughs> and the article appears to be from the University of Cambridge talking about divers in Bajau, B-A-J-A-U, um, which apparently they've been hunting in this traditional way for over a thousand years uh, as free divers and diving up to 70 meters. And they're talking about research from the journal Cell for various things. I don't see the visual information immediately popping up here. They're talking about breathing and lung capacity, but well, maybe that's it's a it long was. article. It's a, yeah. it's a long article, so <laughs> it may also be contained there. Well, I'm I'm putting it. I've got epigenetics in the uh, document here, and I'm going to put. You can put a link um, to the article so <clears> we can come I'm back to it. Put a link it. to the article. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I bet I'm going to learn all sorts of stuff today. I'm going to my rheumatologist. That's the appointment I have today. This is my big one. I'm a little scared. Oh, um, I want to talk about that next weekend. That sounds like a really yeah. great topic. I hope I learned some really cool things about 
it probably will take more than one week, honestly, because what's probably going to happen, at least what I hope is going to happen, is that I'm going to be sent for additional tests, which might enlighten some other things about my body, which might enlighten some things about genetics if I get sent for genetic testing or anything, which people with autoimmune issues frequently get sent for, so. I don't want to say that you're lucky in this circumstance, but I've always, I've always sort of dreamed of being part of lots of different kinds of studies and tests of various <laughs> sorts. Always, I always thought of them as being linked to physical and athletic capacity or your prowess or the way or the way your brain works right like yeah not necessarily finding out about something that's wrong with you that's causing you pain or chronic disease Um, (laughs) but i like the idea of participating to the body of scientific knowledge on important topics so i mean this fits in by that definition well we'll see i am I'm scared. I kind of wish I had your mom with me just because I always go in with the intention of being really firm about myself advocating. But sometimes when you're in that situation and your doctor is like telling you stuff is made up, it gets harder and harder over the course of that hour to continue being like, but please, can I go in for this thing? Because there's only so much you can take of the, but it's probably not that, before you just sort of give up, even if you shouldn't give up. Like, I would rather, in a country with free healthcare, I would rather make sure there is nothing that we haven't been able to find yet, rather than just sticking with the definition that seems like it's going to work. Which is why I hate the definition of IBS, which my doctor just gave me. So I've officially been diagnosed with IBS. But the issue is that there's... There's, thank you. Um, I'd like to thank my parents' genetics and the academy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to say I would, I would like that modified to uh, epigenetics. Since That's true. <laughs> it actually, well, because I've never had these issues and IBS is something that you develop. Like it's not, it's not genetic. And the reason they don't know what it is is because it's definitely the kind of thing like fibromyalgia, which they diagnose you with when they don't know what is wrong, right? Like there's no test I can take that tells me I have IBS. It's just, okay, we tested you for all these things and you don't have them. So it's probably this, but there's no real definition I get from that. There's no medication I take. There's nothing. It's just try to change your diet and don't eat too many things that irritate you basically which pretty much universally everyone with ibs is like fuck that i'd rather eat the food i like (laughs) but you got to be careful when you're like going on road trips or going out to eat and stuff well you know advocating for yourself is that's tricky i want to put another spin on it which is yes in a in a country with free health care you would rather have that answer and it's important for you to advocate for that and to get the help that you need but also remember that because it is funded from all of the people in the country that there are still people that are being underserved for health care uh-huh. yeah. and every procedure that you have i don't know that it works as a one-to-one but that is going to remove the ability for somebody else to get service so it's like the doctors do have limited resources and have to try and triage that's why people get worn down because doctors are either lazy or limited in in what they think they yeah. can do uh, so yeah I, I don't envy you this position. That's that's difficult. And if you want me to come uh, as part of a as part of a a uh, audio call, you in. <laughs> just in your AirPods or whatever, I'll be there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like I, they won't tell them they're on a call, so it's just like I'll just hear you whisper in my ear, like push for the genetic testing. <laughs> 
it's like, well, actually, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, it just, it also reminds me of how lucky I feel to have the education I have and the debate experience I have. Cause like, I can't imagine other people with chronic issues or disabilities trying to self-advocate in a way, in a place where they don't have the skill set that I have or like people with ADHD who don't have the coping mechanisms I have like I've been writing down all my symptoms because I've been taught all the things to do so I can remember things but if somebody's undiagnosed with ADHD or doesn't have good strategies it's like they go there and the doctor's like when's the last time you experienced pain and you're like uh (laughs) a week ago and they're like how many times a week do you experience pain and you're like uh (laughs) which is what happens to me sometimes but (laughs) Yeah, you wonder yeah. if sometimes those questions are so specific in an effort to um, exclude you from consideration because most yeah. people won't or can't do that sort of thing. I definitely think that's true. It's also, I think, a diagnostics thing that doesn't really make sense because it's like, oh, if you're having this pain one time a week, it's not that bad. But if it's like three to four times a week, we should investigate it. And it's like, well, what if it's four times this week and no times next week? That's how most conditions work. Then you just take an average and yeah, <laughs> does it's... pain have momentum? That's what I, I guess yes. what I would yes, ask. Yes, it right? does. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because it totally does, though. Not like in the physics sense, but in the sense that when I have pain in my knees, it radiates up to pain in my hips that if unaddressed radiates back to my knees. And it's like an endless cycle until I deal with it. Well, what I was thinking of for momentum was the way we build up associations with pain and then even the absence of it is you you still have the like residual fear or or avoidance of an activity because of the potential for pain that's what i was sort of thinking but your observation was also very interesting well i'm sure based on that well, if you recall during city walk, I wanted to walk on a specific side of the sidewalk because I was worried about falling off and rolling my ankles. And I wasn't yep. sure if you thought that that was irrational, but if you did, haha on you because <laughs> when I was at Greta's, I back-to-back days rolled each of my ankles. Um, oh god just going for walks with Greta it wasn't really bad or anything but it was enough to be like painful and scary you know I didn't just just to clarify (laughs) I did not uh at all think it was unreasonable mostly because whatever makes you comfortable is fine so long as it doesn't have a big impact on me until until it has a big impact on me I don't need to consider whether it's a valid concern all I need to think about is is that a thing that I can do for you and it right. was and so yeah. like it, I didn't give it a second thought but that's a pretty good way of approaching it <laughs> well it's not always possible though because it's often pretty quick that people are infringed or feel infringed upon by yeah by somebody else's need right and that's that society I was talking to mom about this about when you just when it's better to just accommodate somebody versus try to change the way they are And I was explaining how I think my relationship with her has improved because I've started thinking about the way she sees her space as just like a need of hers. Because like when I was living at home, I think as a kid, I felt like it was unreasonable all the time. Even if it's not a great um, infringement on me to have to stand up and put away my pen or my cup or whatever, like the one thing. Or your book or yeah. But whatever the thing is in the living room. It felt like an injustice because it felt unreasonable. But after I took my disability studies courses 
and thought more and more about how everybody is different and everybody has their own needs for everything. I'm now, every time I try to deal with somebody, trying to assess, is this a need of theirs I can easily accommodate? And if so, I should just do it, even if it inconveniences me a little bit, right? And I think you're right that that stops at the point where it starts inconveniencing a lot or causing pain that's disproportionate to the need. Then it becomes a negotiation as opposed to just an automatic easy meeting of the need you start having to be like okay this is becoming a lot of work what is reasonable can i do this another way or can i get out of the way so that i it doesn't take action from me for example say you know what this is getting too hard i'm going to move out yeah right like that's a really big choice but at a certain age it becomes maybe easier than whatever conflict that that it's creating right so yeah no it's just it's something and that's the way that I have approached my relationship with Leo is just trying to accept the way that they are that they're not trying to be offensive or mean when they say things in a certain way and I can try to interpret what they're actually meaning and just like water off a duck's back you know just try to you know (laughs) <laughs> no, I think that that's I think that's a, a healthy way mentally to live. I lots of times I spend too much time obsessing over the way those interactions go and and trying to justify them or fix them when it's not usually necessary. Yeah. You can just let it you can just let it be. So, do you have any questions for me this week cuz that was your assignment? was to think of questions you had for me. Because, as we know, I am now an adult. And I am starting to specialize. I was talking about this with Greta, but I am starting to know some things that you do not know. And that has never been a dynamic in our relationship before. I'd be like, Dad, Dad. And I'd come back with like, I learned how to do this math thing. And you'd like, maybe have forgotten it, but you always knew how to do the math thing, right? You know, it happened earlier than I thought that you had skills that exceeded mine and sometimes that was physically like when your you were more much more highly trained in basketball than i ever was yeah i i couldn't out jump you but i could finesse you you became a more adept dribbler you became better at complex uh, transitions in basketball that i would still have to think through because i never had them solidified in yeah. pressure situations. And I think it's easier to see them there because we put ourselves into a kind of a direct competition yeah. playing one-on-one or whatever and it and becomes obvious. But I, I assume that there were actually quite a few areas intellectually that would happen. And I certainly noticed the emotional ones. Really? Where you were better than me, younger. Like what? I was a very poorly thought out emotionally as a kid right and so I was my behavior was selfish it was unanalyzed as far as other people were concerned I did I didn't understand how other people worked and so I couldn't factor their needs or decisions into things very well right and it led me to just stumble through situations I think a lot of the time and I can I could see you able to think through and make complex judgments at 12 that I wasn't making at 30, right? And it's hard to express that to you because by the time we were able to talk about it, yeah, I could see all those things you were doing. I knew how to do them. 
but I but I had learned them much, much later. Right. Yeah, so do I have a question for you today? I was thinking, what do you see as the value of having had music in your life as long as you've had? Ooh. Because I don't see you doing a lot musically now. So do you think that there is a lasting impact that training had on you? I think that that is a really interesting question. I think it has changed my life in very small ways and in big ways. In small ways, like I'm better at fingerspelling than a lot of people because of my piano training. Like I, I'm better at manipulating my fingers. Whereas like a lot of other people, they like are like trying to figure out how to get their thumb between two and two of their fingers or making the Y shape. People do that a lot instead of being able to like actually get a good spread. And That's a who... really good spread there. <laughs> <laughs> and people the who... viewers at home, the viewers, the listeners at home cannot see it. But if I was to make a, to stretch my pinky and my thumb as far <laughs> away from one another as possible, um, they're maybe making a 90 degree angle. I'm almost I, at 180. look at them the right way. And from what I can see of Anwen's, it's close to 180. Yeah. Uh, especially if you count the curvature of her thumb, which I can, I can barely manage as well. <laughs> yeah. It's very impressive. And obviously you don't need to stretch that far to make a Y shape. The benefits of musical <laughs> education, young ones. But it's still fun to have that increased dexterity, I think. Um, it also meant that I got my finger, my fingers jammed less in volleyball and things like that. Like it, it's a weird transferable skill. I just had more muscles developed deliberately in my hands, right? If that makes sense. Yeah. This is way exceeds my expectations <laughs> in terms of the it's something weird I thought about. benefits that yeah. yeah. Um, I'm much better at whistling because of my embouchure from oboe, and I think that's trans transferred into singing and diction and things like that. I think it allows me to appreciate music in a nuanced way. Just like watching Queen's Gambit, right? Anybody can think that that's a really good show. But if you also, if you know stuff about film, or if you know things about chess, you can get a unique appreciation for certain elements of the TV show. I think it's the same way with music for me. I remember in grade 12 when Godwin came back to our school to play piano, Godwin is this really amazing piano player that went to my high school. I was like crying listening to it. And so were the other friends I had that played piano, but the friends I had that loved music but didn't play piano were less affected. And I think it is, you just get this level of appreciation and awe, like listening to a really great symphony and just like how perfectly all the instruments are balanced. I'm like, how the fuck do you get that good at music? Like, it's just, it's really... Is just another level, and somebody who hasn't played in a band doesn't get that. I can absolutely verify that. I <laughs> I can barely tell which instruments are which, especially if they are from the same category of brass, or I'm often guessing. And right. I know that people that, that have some experience know exactly, you know, what the instrument is, and possibly how good the person playing it is and uh, yeah. and a whole host of things uh, maybe maybe whether it's a good instrument or whether it was properly tuned and I'm like okay whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I'm not like I was never at the level of music where I would be as good as some people who music was everything for them but like my piano training and being in band and everything like that I, I do think it's added nuance to me listening to music and I think that I just had naturally some of those things that you've maybe worked hard to acquire, like an ability to just easily notice when like the melody is recurring as a part of a, th a theme again in a movie, 
for example. And I don't know if this is an experience that everybody has, but I just find music really emotional, period. If not universal, pretty near to, right? Like, that's why music is such a big part of every culture I can think of, right? Yeah. It's, it's a fundamental element. But I really envy your depth and connection to to those things. I just wonder, is it something that actually you would miss if you didn't have? I don't know, like, do you, do you miss it? I miss a lot of things that I don't have, and I, I'm not sure that it's on the healthy side of missing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, if you don't know what it is that you're missing, can you really miss it? The worst pain you've ever experienced is different from the worst pain I've ever experienced, is so on and so forth, right? So what you view as ultimate suffering might be different from what somebody else views as ultimate suffering. You don't know what ultimate suffering is until you've had it, right? And you don't know what an extended knowledge of music is like until you've had it. So I feel like it's almost in some way, maybe it's impossible to know exactly what you're missing. Okay, so we're going to have to, I think we're going to wrap up here. But that does lead me to something that I've thought about a lot in my life. And I think that it might be fun to get into maybe it will just be muddled but the concept of the ineffable right so i will leave us with this with this hanging question which is is the ineffable simply a case of us not having enough information to express or explain something or can there be things that actually cannot be properly expressed or explained is it just that we have a gap in our knowledge or is it that it is literally unexplainable because we talk about ineffable things in our culture can we can we actually explain love for example love is all around That's anyway how you love everybody i know you have important things to do today yes. and that you had wanted to keep this conversation to an yeah. hour we are now uh, a little over, over an, hour. an hour it's okay i have to i'm just trying to mostly protect the time that i have to leave uh but when we do talk about the ineffable in the future uh, you should put on our spreadsheet that i want to talk about ai and the research i've been doing about ai trying to come into those fields that maybe we previously saw as impossible for something without human emotion to understand maybe that connects i don't know maybe it won't but we'll see all right and then next time you're going to actually have the document open while we're talking so you can I add your own open, things to it. But okay. I, I have a weird setup where I'm trying to get my microphone up to a good height. So I have like a box on my laptop. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, yeah. this is why you, I've got the hanging microphone. It is generally yeah. accepted as the, the best way of uh, accomplishing it. And this one can hang. It's the... This but is you don't the, have the... Yeah, yeah, I don't have the thing. But this is the blue, what did we say it was? Blue Yeti. Blue Yeti Nano. This is the Blue Yeti Nano. Right. All right. I'm I'm uh, on the Zoom H2N, which is not a purpose-built podcasting microphone the way yours is. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to, there'll be some interesting uh, sound observations. Yeah, well, I also have a worse setup, so I wonder if that'll sort of even out. You know, like, you, you you, have a nicer setup. I have a worse setup, but maybe a better mic for this purpose. We'll see how it goes. You decide. Tell us next week on Daddy Daughter Talk Show. <laughs>